theme or the title of the sermon series is the completeness of Jesus Christ. And the reason that is the title of the sermon series in Colossians is because that is the theme of the letter of Colossians. It is everything about Jesus, how complete and full we all are in him and him alone. Paul began his letter by saying that. In chapter 1, verse 9, he says, He wants these people to be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, maturity, complete. The only way you would be mature in Christ, the only way you would ever be mature is in Christ. He wants them to meditate on Christ so that they would understand all the mysteries, the wisdom in God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, he has said to the Colossians. He also wants them to meditate on Jesus Christ, to be complete in Jesus Christ and look nowhere else so that they would be able to reject anything that is not of Jesus Christ. The only way you could know to reject something that doesn't belong is you have to know what it is you should have. If it is Jesus Christ you should have, then you have to meditate on Jesus Christ to know everything about him so you can know what is not Christ, so you can know what is a lie, what is a falsehood, what is a dangerous heresy leading all of our souls astray from the one true source of life, Jesus. He says, if these false teachers he addressed in the letter, don't let them judge you or pass judgment upon you on anything you eat or drink, festivals, new moons, or Sabbaths, all these rules and things that are coming in, they are taken in by these lies because they don't know the completeness of Christ. They have a lacking knowledge of Jesus. Now we are here. Coursing that trail here to this portion in which the transition is made. Where he says, nothing more but in conclusion, therefore, seek him. Find him. Seek the things that are above. It's almost as though everything he said before was preparing for this moment in his letter to get all the other things away, to chop away all the debris and weeds and get to the center of it and say, now you are in a position to seek the Lord and you will find him because he is the Christ, the Alpha and Omega. He is able to make himself known even to you. So don't look for other things. Be satisfied in Him. And then the practicality of it is, do you seek Him? Do you seek Him? We say all these things about Jesus and how He is great and He is the embodiment of God and in Him the fullness of deity was pleased to dwell bodily. Just a remarkable thing to say. But if that's true, then what does that mean today for you? Your life, your hours, the the manner of your walking. If it's true that he is who he is, the letter had to move in this direction. Paul had to direct, direct them to say, find him, seek him. It's an if then. He begins by saying, if, if you have been Um, if then you have been raised with Christ. 
That is, you are alive in him by being connected to him through faith. Therefore, then, seek the things that are above where Christ is. It's not just though Paul is saying, look up to the heavens and seek things that are above. The reason he's saying it this way is because that's where Jesus is. The implication is, look for Jesus. Find him. Find him. Every day of your life, find him. He will be found. The promise in Jeremiah, of course, is you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. And he can be found. Seek Jesus. For at the location of above somewhere, he is seated at the right hand of God, which some theologians have said, and I would have to agree, is the greatest mystery in all of Scripture. The reality that there is a corporal body of flesh and blood in the highest heavenly places of the glorious presence of God. He is seated at the right hand of God, constituted as he was on this earth, but only glorified. A man like you and I. But then, of course, we, maybe I can say of myself, pastorally in the Christian church, Christians, we love, raise your hand, do you like platitudes? Do you like cliches? I mean, how else are you going to, what else are you going to put on a pillow? What else are you going to put on a Christian t-shirt? Say, you know, we ask somebody in the church, and I say this, it's just an observation. Say, hey, would you like to be involved in this ministry that's kind of anonymous and a lot of work? (laughs) And they say, I'll pray about it. And, and it's a little cliche, is it not? You know, you're probably like, well, I hope you pray about it. But that probably means you're not um, probably going to call me tomorrow immediately saying, I prayed, I prayed, and it, the answer is, it means like we might never broach this topic again. <laughs> the, the, there's, there's a um, manner of speech within uh, the Christian world, of course, you kind of pick up on. Um, I'll pray about it. Well, I don't want this to be that. Right? I don't want you to see this verse as a cliche, a platitude. Seek the things above. Okay. Like, seek, go ahead. I'm just, well, I'm just seeking the things above. I'm just trying my best to seek, seek the things up there. Yeah, well, that, what is that? See, the reason cliches are the way they are is that they lose their meaning. They're sucked of actual value. They're sucked of actual meaning from what it could be. It's just a thing. It's a platitude. It's a, it's a phrase. It's a filler. We don't want that. That's not here. Seek the things above. The reason it almost lends itself to being a cliche is because, well, what does that mean? Is Paul saying, now you need to go out into a field and I'd like you to just stare up into the clouds as long as you can and maybe Jesus will come back. Or at least, if not, maybe get a telescope and keep looking a little further. And try to read the stars and, and, and seek the things above. Because Jesus did ascend that direction, did he not? But what, does that, what does that mean for your life? Seek the things above. What we'll see here is this. 
to remove this and protect against any additional, as if we needed any more, Christian cliches, we will look to see exactly what he means here. What are the things above? What are the things above? How do you seek them and why would you seek them? These things above, you see clearly, above means heaven. Let's not assume that, but find that. Above means heaven. It's contrasted in the very next verse with things of the earth. So whatever's above is not of the earth. And the earth is always contrasted with heaven in Scripture. Therefore, whatever's above is the heavens. The location of where Jesus Christ sits enthroned in Scripture is the heavens. That is where you're supposed to seek. You're supposed to seek the things above. The things above are in heaven. Well, what are these things? Are they clouds? Are they stars? Are we speaking spiritually? How come it always has to be so spiritual, so nebulous? Well, I just seek the things above. That's just a nebulous cliche. No. He contrasts the things of the earth later on in what we read, well, we didn't even read it yet, of moral uh, vices. Notice that I'm going to have to say, a baby was crying a lot last night. So, mind, mind my mind, would you mind, please? Um, the vices we'll read shortly deal with all non-seen things. And the things in the heavens are reverse, non-seen things, virtues and vices. Now, let's read the Bible. Colossians 3. If then you have been raised with Christ, if then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Seek the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on this earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality and impurity, passion and evil desire and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. And these you too once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away. Anger and wrath and malice and slander and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self. Put off the old self with its practices. And have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. Here, in the heavenly places, there is no Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, or free. But Christ is all and in all. Those are the things to take off. In the future, we'll look at the things he says to put on. As God's chosen people in verse 12, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, 
meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And the greatest of all these, put on love, he says. Putting on like this and taking off like this is the simplest metaphor possible. It's complicated. We spent a lot of time thinking about what he just said there. It's actually very complicated. It's challenging, intellectually and morally. But at the base of it, it's actually very simple. It's nothing more than this jacket I'm wearing. Take it off. Put it on. What is that, though? All the things you can't see. Everything that's supposed to come off there. Sexual morality, impurity, passions, evil desires, covetousness. Who's coveting right now? Who would know? It's only what you're doing within your own heart. It's only what you do with your own mind. Evil desires. Where is the desire? Could you point that to me? The desire is just that inclination from within. The beauty of the metaphor is, this is evident. My clothes are here. The sports jacket is on. It is off. It is on. It's The hiddenness of all these other things. This, this is how we know what we're talking about when we say, what are the things above? They're not the things you see, evidently. The unseen realm where God is spirit, infinite, eternal, and unchangeable, in His being, wisdom, justice, goodness, and truth. What are all those things in the confession? It says that, defining God that way. All the things you can't see, but all the things you know are real. Goodness, justice, truth, beauty. Isn't beauty relative? Well, no, because God is beautiful, and God is objectively true. Isn't justice relative? No, you can't find justice, you can't point to justice, but justice is true, it's objectively true, because God is an object, and we are His subject. All these things, though, not seen, are real. And in that context, in that context, we know when Paul says to seek these things, he's not talking about going out in the field and looking to the clouds, or getting out your telescope and reading the stars. He means... To put your mind, put your mind to these things. The verse he goes on to say in the positive, not the things to take off, but the things to put on. Colossians 3.12, he says, put on a compassionate heart, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another. Above all these things, put on love that binds everything together. If you could just put all your clothes together and have it fit nice and snug, it is just love. That if you could be clothed with love, if, if what God sees of the immaterial and the non-seen reality of your soul is that He would see you clothed in love. But see, what you have been given is nothing more than a gift. He went out and bought the clothes for you and had you put them on. It is His righteousness, His compassion, His love, His kindness, His humility. Where did all that come from most clearly and manifestly? As He took on your clothes in human flesh and came down and died, considering Himself not equal with God, Though he had the right to be equal with God, he went and died on the cross in perfect patience and long-suffering with all of your sin and mine. In perfect humility, having despised the shame of the cross and meekness and bearing the guilt. Compassionate in heart. Do you see all this is actually 
is actually imaging the very clothes that Christ put on in his own incorporated body. And so the way to heaven, the the way to, to think or consider these things above is not just looking at them themselves, as though you should just sit there and meditate on the concept of justice or meekness. No, you must meditate on them as apertures, as windows from which you can behold the glory of Christ who is seated at the right hand of God in heaven. He is seated on this throne above. Your Savior is seated on the throne and he possesses all these things. How do we do this? See how the verse works? Not only what are the things above that we should look for, but how do you look for them? If you have been raised with Christ, he says, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things above, not on things that are in this earth. Do you see how he put that together? That seeking and thinking come in unity. How could you seek God in heaven? The particular, the particular thing he has given us as humans created in his image, unlike every other creature, is our intellectual, rational ability of thinking. And that is not just to do math problems. It is immediately spiritual. It is in the biblical sense of the term mystical. That you are united to Christ in such a way that you have an ability to commune with him. Though you are not him, you are made similar like him. And your mental abilities of meditation can bring you in to visions of God intellectually. I'm not talking about visions of God that you report and write on a piece of paper. What I'm talking about is all these concepts that you have in your mind are apertures or windows from which you to behold the glory of Jesus Christ. To meditate upon him. For he and him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. To know the word of God and to know the truth of Christ and to meditate on that. This is how we seek these things. We seek them through our mind's eye. Ephesians says, let the eyes of your heart be enlightened. The eyes of your internal perception, your consciousness. Your ability to meditate and consider. This is All the more important to see after we know why Paul wrote this letter. They are looking to find visions of angels and all sorts of spiritual experiences. And he pauses them and says, you are fully equipped now to be able to ascend into the heavens. You are actually sitting in the heavens right now by federal union with Jesus Christ. And you're able to ascend that way intellectually in in your own mind just to consider his beauty. This is what's properly called Christian meditation, making it different than any other type of meditation in any false religion, is that it is meditation that is intellectual, it is rational, but it's not rationalism. It is not just pure information, it is an information that is then therefore moves the emotions and opens up that you would see the beauty of the glory of Jesus Christ. You see, that is what it means when we say, well, Jesus is so great, Jesus is so wonderful, well, what are you doing about it? Consider him. Set your mind on these these things that you know of him. And you will not only appreciate the fact that someone might say Jesus is great and beautiful, but you yourself might be perfectly convinced in an intellectual and inexperiential faculties to say he is beautiful. He is glorious. 
but you have to look up to see it. With your mind considering these things. Why would you do that though? And this is the beauty. Again, of any type of Christian meditation or spirituality that differs from the rest of the world. You don't do this to earn some place with God or to have some type of experience that makes you feel closer to the Lord. You do this because you already are. It's in your nature. You must do this. You don't, there's no, the, the principle of works righteousness. The principle is, I need to do something. I need to not eat, not touch. I need to observe certain days. I need to do certain things. Then God will let me come closer. I can have experience with Him. Or be more full, the fullness of God. And, and have all these things, these spiritual blessings. Why would you do this? Paul says, because you have to do this. He has made you to do this. He has altered your nature. For you have died. Why? For, why should I seek the things above? Verse 3. For, here's the reason why, you have died. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. You have to look up to the heaven. That's where your life is. You actually are dead. And this is not metaphor. This is not Paul using imagery. Perhaps when he says, put on, put off, he's using an image to make you conceptually understand what he means. But he means in the most real sense, you are dead. Spiritually dead to this world and spiritually alive to Jesus Christ. You are united to him now. You have come into and possessed everlasting life. When Christ who is your life appears, you also appear with him in glory. Consider these things in the heavens where Jesus is because he is coming back from the heavens and what is hidden now, that is your life is hidden in Christ, right? How do you know walking down the street who is alive? And who is truly dead? There's no way to know. For some have their life hidden in Christ. And some do not have their life hidden in Christ. But the principle now is that united to Jesus, your life is hidden. But there will be a time in which your life will be revealed. There will be a time in which he will return. And those who have life who see his appearing, will also appear with him in glory. Image of external manifestation. Glory. You will be glorified. Your internal hidden life that doesn't differentiate you at all from anyone else walking on the street will be externalized. Your inner man who is alive and your outer man who is wasting away, 2 Corinthians 4 says, will be turned out so that the inner man will also manifest himself in your outer man and you will be glorious and you will look different and you will have a body that has life all in it. Put off, put on. There will be a time in which he will put on a glorious body. He will put it on you. Never to be disclosed again. Paul says, I would rather be apart from the body and be present with the Lord. And he said, not only speaking of the resurrection, we'd rather be more clothed, more clothed, clothed with a glorious body. That is coming. That is coming our way. Therefore, if that is the way it's coming, and his appearing coming down, start looking up. And notice in the, in, in the biblical worldview 
of spirituality is immediately practical. How do you look up? Well, you do the things like having a compassionate heart and kindness, humility, meekness, patience, all these things you meditate on. And thinking for Paul in the Hebrew mind is not conceptual. In the Greek mind, it's a blue sheet. Uh, it's, a, it's a spreadsheet or it's something you don't get your fingers dirty. You just conceptualize the, the building and then you go have the slaves build it. Right? That's the Greek way of thinking of intellection. It's, it's, it's white collar. You never get your hands dirty. Well, our God came down as a carpenter. And the Hebrew mind for intellection is for action. So therefore to consider these things, like Plato might write the book called The Republic and he'll just pontificate about justice forever. Paul will say, no, don't think about that. Think about justice or compassion or love, but put on compassionate hearts and kindness and humility and meekness, bearing with one another, real life, forgiving one another, real life. If you get into that, you're being knit together in love to know the wisdom and the mystery of Jesus Christ. It is practical. Our spirituality does not put us just in a, a hum state where we just get away from people and go off into the woods. Our spirituality changes the world. Do you see? Our spirituality makes you a better person, makes you a better husband, makes you a better wife, makes you a better child, makes you a better worker. That is the new create. That is what Jesus is about. And if you enter into that kind of knowledge with your mind and also the way you live, you will begin to perceive Jesus Christ even more fully. You will be setting your mind things above and be able to see him through the windows of all these virtues he's relayed himself to. Why do you seek? The reason Paul wants them to do this is preparing them for this glory that's come. There was a uh, incident back in 2013 that wasn't extremely famous, but it did get into the news. Um, <clears throat> it was um, the International Space Station of NASA um, was <clears throat> doing their work as they do, and when I say that, I mean I don't know anything else to say after that. Um, they were doing their NASA thing, and <clears throat> of course it's international, so there's different um, astronauts from uh, across uh, the world and different nationalities. Well, in 2013, it made in the news, there was an Italian astronaut, uh, Luca Pamitano, tried to do that. Um, they do these things called spacewalks. If you don't know what a spacewalk is, it's not a walk. You're not using your feet. You're using your arms. It's those famous pictures you see when um, the astronaut is actually just suspended in the black abyss of the vacuum of space. And don't worry, they're attached by a rope. So I'm sure they feel good about that. But he was doing one of those. And... What happened that made it newsworthy is um, amidst the evident danger already of that, of that kind of practice, working on the outside of the space station for whatever reason, again, doing what NASA does, um, they uh, were working and, and, and Luca realized that in his helmet he could see uh, condensation forming. And again, for our knowledge of NASA, we would probably assume that's not supposed to happen. And, and he knew that was not supposed to happen. Uh, what, what, what happened was um, there was a leak of his cooling fluid uh, in his suit that actually mixed into his uh, respiratory vent at the back of his helmet. And 
water was coming up from the back of his helmet and trickling in his front of his face. <clears throat> Even for the danger of that, in that environment, that is traveling into, if we want to be concrete here, the heavens. It is not conducive for our bodies. Well, the water began to <clears throat> uh, come ba- back and it was finding voids because it's suspended without gravity. And of course, you're, he's in this very large um, suit that's worth millions of dollars, but he can only move his hands. They really can only move their hands a few degrees to just get work done. What's he going to do? It starts to fill his ears. <clears throat> the water's coming in around his eyes and settling in. And then it started to come up toward his nose. And it was starting to come into his mouth. And he was literally just going to suffocate right there in the middle of space. Mind you this. That suit he's wearing. Right? He's wearing. He put something on. <clears throat> they rescued him. Even though the suit was protecting him from so many other things, they rescued him, brought him in right before he would uh, be full of water and just suffocate there in the middle of space. Um, One astronaut says that if your uh, body was exposed to space, if you were taken out of uh, the chamber and just exposed even for a minute or two, uh, what would happen is you would have the most hellish hellish death imaginable. Uh, And he expresses this. It's, It's so apt to see what Paul is saying here. Immediately the front of your body exposed to the sun would be burnt alive and roast at 250 degrees. It would be just like being set right on top of a, of a burner. At the same exact time, the back of your body that's not exposed to the sun would freeze at a negative 250. You would burn alive and freeze to death within a moment. With no pressure, your lungs would collapse to raisins. And then with no pressure, the blood, the fluid in your blood would be turned into gas. And it would just start to bubble and fizz. And you would just feel that within your own system. I mean, now, you know, preachers appropriately can use metaphor when speaking about the pains of hell. Jonathan Edwards, of course, we might have heard is famous for speaking about the pains of hell. And he made an image of a spider and a fire and dangling over a fire just by a spider's web. That's not necessarily inappropriate because God's a consuming fire and people die in God's presence in the Old Testament. But how amazing is it that that's not metaphor, I just told you. That's actually how God created things. The world shows. You have the earth. You start getting up high into the heavens. It's not conducive to human life. In fact, if you try to go there without the right clothes on, it will be hell for you. It will be hell for you. That's actually the natural law, the natural world imaging to us. The God who made this whole thing. Paul is inviting you into the highest heavens where Jesus is sitting at the throne. But if you were to try to get to the moon, you will wish yourself never to be born. How is this possible? 
temple. They didn't know about outer space. The Old Testament temple that Paul tells the false teachers, quit worrying about these temple regulations. They've already been accomplished. They've been fulfilled in Christ. All to realize why he said that and why the temple was the way it was. There were three layers to the temple. There was an outer court which represented earth. It was dusty. Everything there that was metal was made of bronze. There was a big water basin that typified the created waters of the seas. It was sustained or held up by images of large livestock, cows, again, land animals of the earth. When you went into the next layer of the temple, there was the holy place, which imaged heaven. Heaven that you can, if you wanted to see, you could. Walk out and look to the clouds. You could find some stars. We can get into that heaven. We want to go to Mars after all. See, when you went into the holy place, there was an altar of incense, which wafted smoke, kind of like the clouds that don't let you see beyond God. Consider yourself an ancient person, and all you know are clouds. Where's, what's behind the clouds? There's a candle light of seven stars, seven lights. The holy place is made with tapestry and woven with images and beautiful. It's primary color is blue like the sky. When you go from the holy place into the most holy place, there's a very large blue curtain that is laced with images of angels, angelic beings, beings that live in the heavens. But not just the heavens, the unseen heavens, unseen beings. And if you were to pass through the angelic curtain, you enter into the most holy place. And there you find a seat, a throne. And here Paul is calling you to set your mind on things above. Where Christ is seated on his throne. Now for a priest to go through that procession I just described was a dangerous thing. He would not necessarily die of lack of oxygen or atmospheric pressure. He would die because of holiness. That the physics of the first level heaven give us pause and warning to consider ourselves worthy that we would ever dare broach the second level heaven or the third heaven as Paul calls it. For it's not just a spacesuit you need. It's not just oxygen. It's not just a pressure contained system. You need holiness. You need righteousness. You need all the things Paul is talking about. Paul said, now consider the things of heaven and therefore consider yourself and your oxygen mask and your tank and your suit. No, he said, consider these kind of things. You know, like compassion and gentleness and kindness and humility and patience and long-suffering and love. If you don't have these things, you will not get in there. You will not go in. You will burn. You will burn. For he is a consuming fire and he is white hot in his light of holiness. And the center of all this, Paul says, primarily is the one of love. He is that loving that his love will kill you. So put these things on. Put these on. The priest had to wear a special garment to get through. If he didn't have that garment on and he walked into the Holy of Holies, he was dead. 
and reverse. If he left near the holy realm, he had to take those garments off if he was going to get into the filthy, dirty world with all the sin and, destru- and destruction and impurities. This is what he's saying. This is what it means to be able to approach the Lord. An astronaut suit costs millions of dollars and it will get you this far. The blood of Jesus Christ is invaluable. And that is the only suit, the one he put on with his own body, that will get you into the throne room of heaven. And so Paul is preparing your mind and mine. If you are doing this now, rest assured, you understand where you're going. If you are putting these things on now, rest assured, you have looked to the heavens and you know where you are going. He says, you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on a new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge of the image of its creator. Our culture is is, um, infatuated with identity. We're, we're, We're like children who found a label maker and without even knowing how to read or type, just started putting letters together. And decided to just label everything in mom's cabinets. And there's no correlation between our knowledge and what's real. We just love identifying stuff. You see what this is? Identity. What you wear. What, you know, Tom always kind of dresses like that. And, and Jerry, like, he likes to wear these kind of clothes. Showing you the, the, their personality. The, the, they, they, they dress that way. They identify this way. Ultimately, most definitively is, you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on a new self, which is being renewed. Now, the ESV translates it self, the old self, the new self. The Greek word particularly is man. Oh, that's important. The Greek word particularly is man, anthropos. The old man, the new man. That's important. One of these ways an identity controversy has entered the church is what's called, maybe the first time you've heard of it today, is called Side B Christianity. One of the examples. Think of everything Paul says to take off. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desires, and covetousness, which is idolatry. All these things have to come off. You don't get in wearing those clothes. You will not tolerate the atmosphere of heaven wearing those clothes. You need to take those off. And this is your identity. You are a new man. One person divines um, side B Christianity. And this is our problem. That even this identity um, chicanery is made into the church this way. People attracted uh, to the same sex. uh, Though remaining celibate in uh, obedience to the Bible. Still call themselves, quote, and here it is, gay Christians. This is an example of what Paul is saying. And see their attraction as part of their identity, which should be acknowledged like one's race or nationality. Side B Christianity is saying this. And this is important to know, but even more important for you to internalize in your own spiritual life. There's a particular controversy in the church that says that if you um, are not acting on what would be called homosexual desires then it's appropriate for you to at least acknowledge yourself to be a homosexual Christian. Most people, just who are just godly people, going to church, reading the Bible, will say, that doesn't make sense. 
And what always happens in church history is the people that aren't most people, that is, the pastors and the theologians, the one that study the Bible every day, always end up making it not make sense. And this is always a liberal shift within churches. It's a particular challenge within the PCA, our denomination. That someone would think, I know it's wrong to have these homosexual orientation, but I'm not acting on it, therefore I will call myself a homosexual Christian, a gay Christian. It's not as though I want to make that the issue, even though it is a particular issue in our culture. The real issue is that, that, that someone would actually, a, a pastor who actually knows the word of God would actually consider thinking that way. Look at what Paul has said. It, I use that for a point of first correction, but then illustration to say, look really at what he has said here to you. Your old man, new man. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices. Practices, you need to hear this, practices are not personhood. Practices are not a proper definition of personhood. Perhaps you do struggle with homosexual orientation. Perhaps you're just also a sinner like all of us. And you struggle with heterosexual lust. Or you struggle with covetousness. Or you love money. Or you love the praise of men. Or you are just an arrogant man. Look at these particular ones where he goes on to say, also, let's put these on the list. You must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk. Malice, wrath, slander, obscene talk, anger, wrath, malice. Malice, wanting ill tent, anger. You are an angry person. If things don't get your way, if you're frustrated, do you... Burst out in anger. That is just on par with any other sin that will be a sin that cannot bring you into heaven. But the reality is, you can't take this off and put it on and think yourself right. The reality is, your identity is that it is already off and you must dress accordingly. Your practices are not your identity. Your identity is that you have already died. Therefore, because you have been risen in Christ, set your mind on these things. You already have died to the old man. You are. The, the, the verb is past tense complete. Put on. You have put on the new self. Not put on the new self. You already have the new self. The new man. Put that on. That is your identity. Now you have to see with all that. Do you have a sin in your life? Dare you ever let it control you? Dare you ever let it bring your identity? The idea that you would consider yourself struggling or, or um, less than holy. Your identity is in Christ. Taking off and putting on are nothing more than clothing, activities. You are not your activities. Your activities can change. Particularly the one here. Speaking about sexual desire is the word epithumia, evil desire. No, see, we say, well, I will act on these abnormal sexual desires. If you struggle with sexual sin, if you're tempted by that in any way, heterosexual, homosexual, any version of sexual abnormality that is not within the proper covenant bond of marriage. That's not cut off the most important solution to it all. Do not fight that battle in what you do. Fight that battle in what you desire. The freedom is to see this. The desire is wicked. 
He says evil desires, they have to come off. That is, if you say, I'm a homosexual Christian, that is, I'm a Christian that has a desire toward other men, that desire is an abomination. It is wicked. And there's no condemnation in that at all. The beauty of it is, the reason we say that, the reason the scriptures say that, is because that is your freedom. Why fight that battle at the level of actions? Any sexual desire, why fight that battle at the level of, I haven't clicked there, I haven't looked there. No, no, no. The second you think to do such, repent. The desire to do that was wicked. It's so much easier to uproot a sapling than an oak tree. Uproot the desire. Take it off before it grows. But never, never put it in front of your title. That you are an adulterous Christian. A homosexual Christian. A drunk Christian. You've put on the new man. Created after the image of God in perfect righteousness. As we close, you should know that when the priest entered into the holy place, he was told to wear a turban. And on the very front was labeled, Holy to Yahweh. The most common name for Christians in the New Testament is holy. Holy. Not because we're there. Because he's up there. And our life is hidden with him. And you are holy. Now start dressing like it. Dear Father God, we thank you for this truth. Father, we thank you that you have made us holy. Lord, we thank you that you have spoken truth to us to give us freedom to remove desires at the root. Oh Lord, that when we have desires, whether they be covetousness, that someone has what we want, or how come it always goes better for another person? How come I can't have what the other person has? Sexual desires for someone else's body. Lustful desires. Any desire is evil. And that is a sin worthy of our repentance. Oh, how beautiful it is, Lord. Lord, help us to be this way. To take off the old man and put on the new. In Jesus' name, amen.